Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I'm always looking to help the Next Level Soul audience take their soul to the next level. And I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today we have a very special episode. We have the legendary Bruce Lipton, who is an internationally recognized authority in bridging science and spirituality and is the leading voice in new biology. We had a fascinating conversation about how our mind works, how it's connected to our spirituality, how we can program and reprogram ourselves to do what we need to do in life and how much power we truly have to control not only our life, but the world around us. Get ready for one hell of a ride. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Bruce Lipton. How are you doing, Bruce? I am a happy guy, Alex, and I'm so happy to be with you, but more so with our audience, because we know Hey, there's a lot of chaos going on out there in the world. And what we need is that empowerment to thrive into the future, not survive, thrive. And so thank you for giving me an opportunity to be here with you. Absolutely, my friend. And and listen, I was telling you before we got recording, uh, I've been such a fan of your work for so many years. It was instrumental in the way I look at my own life and look at the way I talk to other people. And I was telling you, it was like, I've been reciting your your quotes, <laughs> your, your thoughts out of your books. For years, and I just it just became so part of my vernacular that only by doing research in this this for this interview, I go, oh my god, that was Bruce. Oh god, that was Bruce again. Oh my god, I I, I owe so much to Bruce just to talking everything I talk. About. Uh, and thank you, thank you. But Bruce is a student. I downloaded this from the university. You know, the universe showed me. Uh, I had cells. Cells were my teacher, and. Uh, boy, they taught me something, and I'm so glad to be here with that knowledge because, as you know, in using that same knowledge, uh, we can create a completely different life experience on this planet. Without question. So let's get to the very first uh, beginnings of your work is the basic concept of the first seven years of life and the programming that we go through. Can you kind of go over that whole concept, like the Matrix is not a – is, is yeah. not a, a film, it's a documentary kind of concept. So oh, I love absolutely, for sure, because this is where the crux of the problem comes. I could go talk about the cells, but we can start at this oh, level. Oh, no, we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to the cells, yeah, don't but worry. But this level is a really important level for this simple reason. 
the brain is an information processor. It's the most powerful computer that the humans have ever experienced. And I go, significance is still a computer. And I go, so why? I say, look, when you buy a brand new computer, you can go home, push the start button, it boots up. And then I say, well, do something. And then you go, well, no, I can't really do anything. First, I have to put programs into the computer. Then I can access the computer. And I go, it's exactly the same with the brain. It boots up in the last trimester of pregnancy before you're born, the screen's on. But until you download programs, you can't use a computer. So nature designed the first seven years of our lives, last trimester pregnancy, first seven years of our lives. Our brain is not functioning at the level that we're talking at right now, conscious level, working consciousness. Our brain was actually not even in a consciousness level until around age seven as a predominant state. I said, well, then where is it? And I said, well, it's a little lower vibration. Uh, and vibration, I mean, if you put wires on a person's head, you can read the electrical, electrical activity of the brain. Uh, uh, for the first seven years, we're at a vibration even lower than consciousness. It's called theta. Theta uh, is imagination. This is why kids under seven can mix the real world and the imaginary world. You know, they ride a broom, it's a horse, they, they have a tea party, they pour nothing into the cup, drink nothing, and then say the greatest tea in the world. And I say, ah, imagination theta. But theta is hypnosis. <laughs> I go, well, significance, I say, after the screen boots up in the last trimester of pregnancy, you need to put programs on how to use this machine. <laughs> and um, it actually, programming starts before you're born because your mother is feeding the fetus with her blood, nutrition. And that's all we used to say in the old days. Well, how do you become a good mother? Well, you eat well, take vitamin supplements and exercise, and your blood is good for nutrition. Because we used to think the biology was controlled by genes. So all the mother had to do was just feed the baby, and the genes made the program. Well, that's completely wrong. <laughs> uh, and now we know that blood has more than just nutrition, has information, her emotions, her feelings, her hormones, how she's experiencing life. They go with the blood into the fetus and affect the same targets in the fetus as in the mother. So if the mother is not feeling secure, the fetus is not feeling secure. If the mother is happy, the fetus is happy. So that that's when start uh, the programming starts. But for the first seven years, when we're in uh, theta, uh, theta's hypnosis, I say, so significance, yes. nature said, look, how many rules does it take to be a member of a family? Uh, how many rules does it take to be a member of a community? I go, well, thousands of rules. I go, you can't put those in the genes. Anyway, those things change. You can be in one culture with these rules and these cultures got different rules. So the idea is how do you learn the rules for where you are? And the answer is first seven years, you're in theta, imagination, but hypnosis. And I say significance. This is how we download behavior to get ourselves off the ground. This is the first programs that go into the computer so we can use the computer. I say, well, what do you do? I say, you observe your mother, your father, your siblings. You observe your community. And in a state of theta, the brain is like a video recorder. It downloads behavior. It's downloading other people's behavior. And so that hopefully their behavior is in harmony with the world. So now your behavior should be in harmony with the world. Okay. After age seven, uh, then like in a computer, you get to type on the keys with consciousness. You can add what you want to the computer. So consciousness is the creative part of our mind. The subconscious is a hard drive. That's where the programs are. And I go, well, th this is very significant because uh, programs are habits. So I'm going to say it's a habit mind. 
we learned how to walk before we were two. And no matter what age, you could be 102, you're still walking. That's the same program you got before you were two. It's a habit built in. Habits don't want to change, which we'll go back to in a little bit. But so you get the habits of what? How to be a member of family, how to be a member of a community. Of course, then your teachers are those other people. And if their life isn't that great, then guess what? You just downloaded a bad program yourself because the first seven years is programming point. As you mentioned, um, the Matrix is, is a documentary because the premise is everybody's been programmed. I go, well, that's not a premise. That's a scientific reality. Everybody's programmed for seven years and the programs come from other people. So now I say, well, wait, there's two functions to the, to the mind. Everyone says the mind. No, no, no. Two minds. <laughs> you, and they're very different minds. They have different functions. And more importantly, they learn in different ways. So I say, what are the two minds? I say, the conscious mind is the latest evolution right behind your forehead. And I go, uh, function of the conscious mind connects you to source. Who are you? You are different in your conscious mind. No two conscious minds are the same people. They're different vibrations, different energy. So the conscious mind is me, my source, my spirit actually comes in through this place. And I go, so the uh, conscious mind's function is creativity. And that's where humans differ than all lower organisms. We can be, you know, have a state of imagination. Well, if you can imagine something, then you can manifest something if you can imagine it. So creative mind is really cool. It gives us that, that advantage to create the life that we're in, the conscious mind. And I say, uh, and the subconscious mind, I go, well, that's just where the programs are. Uh, and the programs, as any habits are, you push the button, the program replays itself. You learn how to walk before two, you're 102, just decide to walk and you'll play the program so habit so conscious mind's creative subconscious mind habit mind okay we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show and i go so what i said well when you're in your conscious mind you're exercising creativity wishes and desires come from that I said, alex hey tell me what you what do you want from your life if you offer me what you want, I say, I know where it's coming from, the creative conscious mind, because that's imagination. This is what I want, okay? So creativity from that mind. And as long as you're operating from that mind, then you become very creative. But here's the monkey wrench and the world goes upside down, is this. The conscious mind is not only... First, imagine the body as a vehicle and a steering wheel, and the conscious mind is driving, looking out the windshield, driving us where? Wishes and desires, that's the destination. I go, and here's the monkey wrench. The conscious mind can not only look out the window, the conscious mind can think. And I go, so what does that mean? I say, well, now thinking is not looking out. Thinking is looking in. A thought is on the inside. You know, Alex, today's uh, recording, we're on a Wednesday. And I say, yeah, but tell me, Alex, what you're doing on Saturday. And it's not written right in front of you in a minute or so you'll think, oh, I'm doing this. I go, where'd you get that? Inside. I said, well then your attention from your conscious mind was not looking out anymore. Attention is looking in for a thought. So I said, well, if your vehicle is being driven by your conscious mind and you start thinking, and then <laughs> the conscious mind's not looking out the window anymore, I said, what the hell is going to happen now? I said, whatever function you're not paying attention to, the subconscious generally has a program, like how to drive the car. That's a program. That's a habit. You learn how to do it. So the moment my conscious mind starts thinking and I'm driving, the subconscious is autopilot. 
it steps in. It's a million times more powerful a computer than the conscious mind itself. So it's the one that really can handle the car better than the conscious mind. So here's the point. When I'm paying attention to the world, I'm moving toward wishes and desires. When I'm thinking, my subconscious takes over and becomes autopilot. Now the issue, how much time do we spend thinking? I go, well, 95% of the day is the average amount of time thinking. I said, so what does that translate into? It says, well, that means 5% of the day, you're using your conscious creative mind to manifest wishes and desires. 95% of the day, you default to the subconscious while the conscious mind's thinking, and the subconscious playing programs 95% of the day. But guess what? These programs aren't you. They're your parents, your family, community. That's where you got those programs. And I go, what if they don't answer your wishes and desires? And I said, well, then if you keep playing those programs, you'll never get your wishes and desires because 95% of the day and the subconscious is a million times more powerful a computer than the conscious mind. So 95% of the day with a million times more powerful computer, it's the subconscious that's controlling your life. So, and, uh, yeah. But let me ask you this though, and this is something I think I heard from you as well, is that the subconscious mind does not care about your dreams or aspirations. It no. is not built to do that. It is built to keep you alive. It's keep the, to, to watch around the, the, the tiger around the corner to, to drive like, and how many people have, how many people listening have been driving a car and you just start thinking about something and all of a sudden you just go, oh, how did I get here? And you just been driving for 15 minutes and it did turns and parked. And you're like, how did I get here? I was thinking about problems or that. That, Alex, is the crux of the entire problem, because you just said, look, I've been just driving 15 minutes. I was thinking about all these things. I say, oh, you were thinking. Oh, so I said, then your attention wasn't looking out the window. Correct. It was looking inside. Then I say, uh, what were you thinking about? Oh, I was thinking about doing this and this and this. I go, great. And then I asked this question. What was on the road for that last 15 minutes? You go, no, I have no idea why. I wasn't looking out the window. So then here comes the, then that problem that I talked about. And that is this. Well, if I'm spending my time thinking or focusing on something completely different, uh, and the subconscious steps in and runs the show, do I see the behavior? I say, no, you're not even paying attention. You're not even looking out the window. You're playing a program. It's a tape. Boom, boom, boom. Tape. That's my age. It's a, it's a program. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're playing this program, but you're the only one that doesn't see it. So uh, same story, 50 years. You have a friend. You know your friend's behavior very well. And you know your friend's parent. And one day you see your friend has the same behavior as their parents. So you, you gotta, you just gotta, well, Hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. And I said, back away from Bill because Bill, the first thing Bill's going to say, I, I already know it. He's going to say, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. And, I, and the audience laughs why they've been experiencing this. And I say, that is the problem. I said, what is it? Bill, behavior is programmed fundamentally by observing his dad so the subconscious is dad program when bill is thinking he's not looking out the window but he's playing the program i said well, what program his dad's program does bill see it no why not bill's not looking out the window <laughs> bill's right. thinking whatever's playing is playing without observation and so the idea is this well, if you're playing behavior without observation and that and that behavior is not good, then you are manifesting a life you don't want. I go, and there you go. Because 
we've been we we live off of these programs 95 percent of the day uh, and a, a big issue is of course this oh what are my programs i go oh <laughs> you got these programs even before you were born you were getting programs before you were born you got a program a whole year from zero to one you were being programmed program did you get when you were zero uh, i don't know okay okay it was programmed another whole year from one to two what what programs you get when Nothing. you were two no uh, i don't know okay another whole year from three to four or two to three and i say well maybe around three you might remember something okay but up until then no memory i say yeah but that was all programmed so then comes the big issue uh what are my programs i go why well, I don't know what they are. They were downloaded before I was aware. And I go, oh, here's the answer. Your life, 95%, is coming from the program. Your life is a printout of your programs. You just look at your life and recognize simple fact. The things that you like that come into your life, they come in because you have a program to acknowledge those things. But the things you wish, desire, want in your life, and you work hard to make them happen. You struggle. You sweat over it. I'm putting a lot of effort in. I'm going to make this happen. Why are you working so hard? And the answer is whatever that destination is, <clears throat> your program doesn't support it. And you're trying to use your conscious, creative mind to override the program. I say, yeah, but conscious mind is 5%. Program is 95%. I go, it's not going to work <laughs> very so well at all. So that's why poor people stay poor and rich people stay rich. Yep. That's why the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that was exactly what the whole point was. If you grow up with the programming of a rich family, you don't have to think. Programming is subconscious. Your thinking might be quite stupid. I mean, a former president of ours was a relatively rich person, but not very smart in his conscious mind. But his program was, how do I got how I got rich? By what? He downloaded that from his family. Okay. Uh, and if you're in a poor family, what did you download? Oh, life's a struggle. It's not. I can't get there. Oh my God, we work. You so got to work hard for money. You, you know, you got to keep these. These programs are something that's really entrenched in so many of us. And I'll tell you a quick story, Bruce. When I was, I was in the film industry for. I've been in the film industry for thirty years, and throughout my time in in the film industry, I wanted to be a big time film director. And I worked as a commercial director and I worked and I made a living as a director, but never could actually get to the studio level, even though I met big movie stars and big power players and did a lot of these meetings in Hollywood and did all this stuff. Something always blocked me. And I and then on top of that, to add insult to injury, I worked in post-production where I was editing and doing visual effects and color grading for other directors. And I'm like, these guys, I'm fixing their movies. I'm actually making their movies better because they didn't know what they were doing and I can't get a shot. Only recently, like maybe within the last eight years, I figured out that there was a programming issue that I found. When I was 26, I almost made a $20 million movie for the mafia. And during that time, I was in a year with this mobster who verbally and abused me basically for a year while I was meeting the biggest movie stars in the world, running around, all that stuff. So on a subconscious level, I associated my dream with pain. And it, I just kept self-sabotaging myself throughout my entire life. And so when I finally became conscious of that, it switched. And I was able to start doing what I wanted to do. Isn't that amazing?
Yeah, but it's not amazing. That's the reality that almost everybody out there in the world is experiencing right now. They're experiencing a life with, I got great vision. I got great ideas. I got great wishes. I go, that's conscious. But you're not manifesting them. I say, why not? Because your subconscious program running 95% of the day does not necessarily support anything that you want. And if that behavior sabotages you, this is where the monkey wrench comes in. I say, what? I just sabotaged my life. Did I see I did it? And I say, no, it was unconscious and visible. I say, then if I'm that person, I just sabotaged my life. I look around, I go, those people, they did that. And these people, they interfered and they, they interfered. And I say, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You didn't see you were the source of the whole thing in the first place because the programs you were playing when you weren't paying attention were undermining you, and you're the only one, like Bill, that didn't see the program coming out because the reason you were playing the program, you weren't paying attention. So how can you change your subconscious mind, this this operating system? How can we give some updates to this operating system and rewire some of this hard wiring that's inside of us? You can't. No, I was joking. (laughs) Okay, people, that was a joke. That was a big joke. Of course, if you couldn't change it, this would be a really bastard of an interview. Yeah, your life is that way forever. No, no. As you know, you can change it. Mm -hmm. I say, yeah. How can you change it? Remember, I said, well, there are two minds. Conscious is creative, wishes and desires. Subconscious, hard drive with a program. I say, the conscious mind being creative can learn from anything. Read a self-help book. Oh, yeah, I know how to do that. I said, you read the book. I give you a quiz. You get 100. And it says, yeah, you know this stuff. And then I say, well, now that you know this stuff, did your life change? And the answer is no. I go, why? The conscious mind learned from reading the book. That's not how the subconscious mind learns. So our smarts stay up here. I read the book. I knew the information. I understood how it worked, blah, 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 blah. I go, Yeah. That's the thinking mind that knows. But I go, does that translate into subconscious? I go, no, it doesn't, because that's not how the subconscious mind learns. You want to change the subconscious, then you have to put in the data the way the subconscious mind learns. Conscious mind, creative, can learn from anything. You could just go, aha, I just changed my mind. I can do that, okay? Subconscious mind, habit. Point of habit, it resists change. If a habit changes, then by definition, it's not a habit anymore. So habits resist change, and yet we have these habits, and we want to change them. I say, how can you do it? And I say, the only way you can change the habits is the way that the habits were learned in the first place. I go, well, what was that? And I said, first seven years, your brain was at a lower vibration than consciousness. It was called theta. Theta is hypnosis. And I go, oh, so what do I do? I say, well, you, you can't just say, okay, I want to go into hypnosis. Hypnosis is part of a scale of low vibration going to high during the day. And then when you come home from work, the high vibration slows down and goes to sleep at the lowest vibration. So you go through a range of different vibrations as you're sleeping, awakening, calm, conscious, focus, conscious. You're at work, focus, conscious. And I go, then what? You come home, you calm down. Now it's calm, conscious. And then I say, what? Then you fall asleep. I say, the instant you fall asleep, the next vibration down is theta. I go, that's hypnosis. I go, yeah. So I say, then every night, the moment you fall asleep, the brain for a short period of time is in hypnosis theta. So I say, so what? Well, you put on uh, earphones or earplugs and you go to bed playing a program that you want. 
to be true in your life. I say, so what? I say, you put it on just before you fall asleep. And while you're still awake, you probably hear some of the program, okay? But the moment you fall asleep, conscious mind's disconnected, doesn't hear anything coming off of the program anymore. I say, but what does? I say, ah, the subconscious mind is in theta, record. So whatever's coming through the earphones is not going into conscious mind, but it's now being directly downloaded into the subconscious. So this is called self-hypnosis. You have to repeat this process because the amount of time in theta is relatively short before you hit the lowest vibration, delta, which is sleep outright, okay? So every night when you go to bed, just after your consciousness falls asleep, there's a period of record opportunity. And then we put the earphones on, play the program. It's called self-hypnosis. That's hypnosis. You're doing it yourself, okay? Number two, you still learn programs after age seven. You learn how to drive a car. You learn how to play an instrument. I go, well, how'd you do it that way? And I go, repetition. Habituation is practicing something and repeating it and repeating it so many times that the subconscious finally says, okay, I got a pattern. I got the pattern. And that pattern then becomes the habit, okay? So I say, well, after age seven, you can put in new programs by habituating a new behavior, practicing a new behavior. Um, <clears throat> new age. Mm -hmm. Fake it till you make it. I go, mm -hmm. what the hell does that mean? I say, let's say you're not happy. You want to be happy. So I say, then what you have to do is fake it all day long, as many times as you can say, because it's repetition. I am happy. I, you could be a miserable son of a gun. I don't care. The point is you say, I am happy. I am happy. Repeat, I am happy. Just repeat it. That's all you have to say is I am happy. Many times a day is possible. Repetition. One day you wake up, you don't have to say I'm happy because repetition has now created a habit. And you wake up happy. Uh, and, and that means program done. I'm finished. I don't have to do any more work than that. And there's a third way, which is new. It's called energy psychology. It's not conventional psychology where you go back and say, my mom did this, and then my friend did that. And then you're repeating the story, and you're living the story. And I go, you're replaying the same damn program that you got. I don't need to replay the program. I got the program. I don't read how I got it. That don't make any difference. I got the program. I am carrying that. So I say, what does that mean? I say, I don't have to go backwards. I can say, what is it from here that I want? I go, well, I'm, things that I like have come in. I don't have to change that. I've got great program. Those things come in. But the things I was looking for, the things I wanted to have in my life, the things I desired and wished for, well, <laughs> uh, this uh, you, have, you want to put that into the program, okay? So I say, well, how do you do that? I say, energy psychology is a new version of psychology that engages something called super learning. Super learning, what's that? I go, Maybe you've seen somebody read a book by moving their finger down the page. Mm -hmm. Just as fast as they move that finger down the page, they read everything on both, you know, on the page, on both pages. Boom, they could just read it. So the idea is this. Well, what, if you can engage super learning and uh, use that in downloading a new behavior, you ready? You can change a belief you had your whole life, 50, 60 years. You can change that in minutes. Because super learning is the equivalent of pushing the record button on, on the subconscious. Super learning allows you to download a new program in minutes. Uh, and we need that. Why? 
because the behavior that the <laughs> culture and civilization using today is so out of harmony with nature that mm -hmm. humans are causing their own extinction at this moment. It's called a mass extinction. NASA scientists have, have already told us that industrial civilization, the one we're in, uh, is facing, and I, I want to emphasize this because it was in the title of their report, and I just I said, we are facing an irreversible collapse of civilization in the next couple of decades. Well, we're seeing it right now. Civilization is not working. The chaos that's all over the planet is a sign that it does not work this way, and if we don't change, then we're facing our own extinction. And then that means why you're previous question was so important alex is well if i want to change i got to change the 95 percent of my behavior i said that's the subconscious and i said how do you do that well we just went over the three three ways of doing that uh just to help people energy psychology on my website brucelipton.com mm -hmm. under resources i have 25 different modalities of energy psychology listed with a little descriptor and a access to a website to understand more so if you're interested then BruceLipton.com will give you an opportunity to review 25 different uh, energy psychology modalities. Let me ask you, can't because you were talking about theta and, and doing the self self hypnosis, uh, which is it, it's not a new idea. That thing's been that idea has been around. The self hypnosis been around for a while. Can we do something like that in meditation? Because in meditation, from what I understand, you can get into theta without going into delta. But there are other there are other um, yeah. zones as well. I'm not familiar. I think the, the Buddhist monks go deeper and deeper and deeper yeah. into it. So can you explain? Can, is that a possibility? Yeah, uh, uh, it, it certainly is. The, the idea is you don't have to fall asleep with this. Matter of fact, but you want to get tired because mm -hmm. when you're getting tired, that means I'm letting go of the active process. I'm letting it go. Uh, and that's why originally when hypnotherapy was coming out, the, the hypnotherapist had a watch on a chain and it would swing it back and forth. And he says, you're getting tired, mm -hmm. you're getting sleepy and you're watching this thing. And that's what that was lowering your brain activity toward theta so that the hypnosis could take right there. So uh, you don't have to fall asleep, but it's a process to do this. And and it's so critical because it is one of the fastest ways of rewriting your life programs. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Now, can you tell us what the honeymoon effect is? Yes. <laughs> I am such a character of living it for the last 28 years of what? Waking up every day going, man, heaven on earth. I live, yeah, the world's crazy. It's in chaos. Not my world. No, I don't touch that. <laughs> my my consciousness doesn't put me into that that realm because I don't have that program anymore. So I say, well, what what do you mean program and chaos? I go, the movie The Matrix, which most people have seen, uh, listed as science fiction, uh, is in fact a documentary, as you mentioned earlier. I go, what do you mean? I say, well, the premise of the movie is everybody's been programmed. I go, that's not a premise. That's a reality. We all got programmed. There's no way you could be here if you didn't get that program. And then in the movie, though, they say, we can take the red pill and you get out of the program. What does that mean if you get out of the program? Well, it turns out when people fall in love, that is the same as taking the red pill. I said, what do you mean? What is it that made that difference? I say, if you stop thinking, 
and stay present, meaning you keep your mind in the present moment and not go in there and start thinking about the past or the future. You stay in the present moment. Mm -hmm. That means you stop thinking. I go, so what? And I go, the only reason the programs that have played that uh, have you know, terrorized your life is because you were thinking. So if you stop thinking, then you stop playing the program. And I go, yeah, but if you're not playing the program, then what's controlling? the? And I said, the conscious mind, the subconscious is a program. You're not going to call it in. Then you're going to be operating from the conscious mind. I say, what's that? Wishes and desires. And I go, so what do you think happens when you fall in love? And I say, you and your partner are no longer thinking. You're being present. I say, so what? Well, then you're not creating life from those programs that have been creating a problem. Now you're creating life from wishes and desires. I say, what do you think two people do when they create wishes and desires? Honeymoon. I go, the honeymoon experience, heaven on earth. I go, heaven on earth is always here. The issue is if you're not, uh, if you are thinking and you are defaulting to subconscious programs, then you're not controlling this anymore. Now the program is controlling it. And then you don't have heaven on earth because most of the programs are disempowering and self-sabotaging and limiting. So I go, wow, if I stop thinking, I don't play programs, then my life is wishes and desires. And I go, absolutely, honeymoon. Uh, and I couldn't do this because nearly 50 years, remember, how did I get my basic programs? I watched my father. I go, so what? And I said, my father and mother had a very dysfunctional relationship. And I go, what did I download? dysfunction in relationships and for 40 plus years my subconscious I, i'd meet somebody and we get off right off in the beginning like this is really great but in a very short time my subconscious would throw in these bad programs and whoever was a partner at that moment would go eh, not really interested in that and all of my relationships went to hell but then uh, when I started to understand this, I reprogrammed my subconscious, okay? And when I reprogrammed my subconscious, what was really relevant was I reprogrammed it to, to be in love, to be happy, to create joy, wishes, desires. So guess what? Now my mind, instead of having my father's program, which was dysfunctional, has the same program that my conscious mind has. My wishes and my desires are now part of the program. So here's the cool part. If I'm not thinking, my conscious mind is creating life with wishes and desires. But now if I am thinking, my subconscious mind is creating my life with what? Programs of wishes and desires. So all of a sudden, I never defaulted and left the honeymoon. It was always there because it was either I was doing it lifetime conscious or uh defaulting to the sub subconscious which had the same programs in it so i was 100 percent of the time creating wishes and desires and now 28 years after i couldn't get a relationship for 50 years the last 28 years i wake up every day i am still a honeymoon it's a honeymoon i live on this planet doesn't mean everything works it just means that i am not affected by those things that don't work anymore because i've changed my program so I'm not responding to that. So you're in a bliss. You you basically are doing what Joseph Campbell says. You're following your bliss. A hundred percent. And guess what? That's a lot better track I'm on now than I was when I was doing the programs. Uh, and that's why I wrote the book, The Honeymoon Effect. The Honeymoon Effect. When you're in love, you stop playing the program. And I right. go, interesting. Uh, it doesn't have to be in love with a person. I go, that's the other thing. No, it doesn't. It has to be 
in love with something or doing something that takes your attention. Like if you have a pet, you can be in love with your pet. Okay, give a lot of attention when you're with your pet. You're not thinking, I'm playing here, boy, here, boy, catch the ball. I'm playing live time, no thinking. But it's I could also be a gardener. Right. I could be a chef. I can be an artist. I say what? Doing things that use your mind in the current moment that don't depend on you thinking a lot is the same as a red pill. Any of those things that keeps you from thinking is something that stops you from playing the programs. So that's it's kind of like the concept of the of being in flow as like an athlete or an artist. You're in that flow state where time stands still. You lose track of time. You are only focused on the thing that you're doing. And artists and athletes are two very specific people that do that. Chefs as well, like when they're in their work. Hey, scientists do the same so, thing. Exactly. Scientists don't work in this plane. They think somewhere out here and then bring it back in just like a musician or an artist does. Uh, so the, yeah, that is really important understanding is that when you're engaged in things that you enjoy so much that you keep your attention on it right now rather than doing it and then thinking about something. I say, no, no, you're keeping your attention right on it. That means you are not thinking which means then whatever's coming out of the system is coming from the creative conscious mind and not from any preset program. Now, there's another concept that you talk about, which is the placebo effect and its negative opposite, the nocebo effect and the power of that and what it does to us. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. A lot of people say, you know, that, oh, that idea of positive thinking doesn't work. I had a lot of positive thoughts and nothing really manifested from that. And I go, well, let's first just look at it mathematically. Oh, you had a positive thought. I said, how much of the time? I said, maximum 5% of the day. I go, well, that's going to be difficult to override the program running 95% of the day with a different outcome. So it's like, yeah, your positive thinking isn't going to work. Why? Because you're too busy in your own thinking process. But I say, what about a placebo? I say, ah, you gave the power of truth to your doctor in the first seven years of life when you got programming, because when the first seven years, if you were in a conventional family, when you got sick, anybody got sick, they go to the doctor. And I say, well, what is the pattern that is acquired from doing that? And I say, when it comes to health, I don't know anything about it. The doctor knows about it. And I goes, then what? And I said, then the doctor provides a truth because I can't. And then whatever the doctor's words are, they become a program, okay? So doctor says, oh, look, this new pill came out. I know you've been having this chronic issue for years, but this new pill, greatest thing from the pharmaceutical industry, who are not your friends, mm -hmm. uh, greatest thing from them is this pill. It's, gonna, it's designed for just you. And you take the pill and you get better. Uh, only to find out the pill was a sugar pill. And then the idea is a very important point. Well, then what the hell made you better? I say, not the pill. That was sugar pill. What made you better? Your belief in the pill, the positive thought that this is what is going to make my life better. And you had that vision. You took the pill. You, you know, you, you did what the step was. Okay, I'm ready for better. And, and and then it worked, okay? Well, that's positive thinking, and that's a scientific demonstration of it. 75 years ago, they, they recognized this over 75 years. Medicine is knowing that you could heal yourself with your thoughts, okay? Uh, and um, uh, 
But I said, then why don't we teach this? And, and the answer is, I have to tell you, because I was a professor in a medical school. The curriculum in a medical school is significantly designed by the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, there ain't no money in it. <laughs> there is no money and energy. You can't put it in a capsule, baby. So then don't teach it. And so medical students get what? A litany of, you got this disease, this is the drug. You got that disease, this is the drug. This is the drug, that's the drug. And what are they? They're drug dealers. <laughs> Do they know it? No, because they're being programmed that that's the answer. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I go, no, they don't realize that they're being programmed to sell the damn drug. And when it didn't work enough, then they put the damn ads on the TV and said, well, screw the doctor. Let's just sell the drug right to the patient. Are you feeling sick and tired? This drug will make you the top of the world. And you take this drug and everybody's happy. And then till there's anal leakage and possession of then all the disclaimers. It might cause anal leakage, might cause death, might cause mental mental stress. (laughs) Every one of those things, they call them side effects. I want to tell you why they use that term, because it, it disempowers if they said these are direct effects, which they are. That's the direct effect of taking the drug. If they said these are direct effects, people might go, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. And they go, oh, side no, effect. just side effects. I'm not I'm not on that side. I will not have the problem. <laughs> and of course, it's, well, hey, it's a drug. Uh, uh, just a little insight. Uh, I think the number was like 37,000. So people die from illegal drugs in the United States every year. Mm-hmm. And we have a war on those drugs. I go, what? Well, and then I have to tell you a fact of science. 300,000 people die from taking prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. Well, what about a war on those? No, no, that's the cost of doing medicine. That's what they say. That's the cost of it. I said, that's an, a very expensive cost. 300,000 people die from prescription drugs. Nobody talks about it. So, okay? so you were talking about the placebo. So how about the nocebo effect? Well, that's it. We focus on everybody's talking about, give me positive thinking, positive, positive thinking. I say, Nobody talks about what is the consequence of negative thinking. And, and as you mentioned, the name negative thinking, it comes under the title in medicine as nocebo. That's a negative thought. And I go, well, what about it? And here's the point, people. Positive thinking and negative thinking are equally powerful in controlling your life. They have equal power. While positive thinking can heal you from any disease, negative thinking can cause any disease. You can even die just because you believe you're going to die. So I say, oh, we never talk about negative thinking. I think you should because more than half of our thoughts every day are negative. Yeah, 70% day, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you're just repeating the negative thinking, negative thinking. I go, well, that's not making you healthy. That's making you sick. And uh, uh, and nobody talks about the negative part. And then they argue over the positive thinking. I go, science, folks. Consciousness is creating this. I go, science? I go, yeah, listen to this. Quantum physics is the most valid science on the planet. I say that on the basis that all the theoretical expectations of physics, of quantum physics before they were tested, almost every one of them turned out to be absolutely accurate. So as far as accuracy, quantum physics has more insight into accuracy than any other. I go, relevance, principle number one, quantum physics. Consciousness is creating our life experience. And all of a sudden I go, 
well, this is what we've been talking about right now. <laughs> for years. <laughs> for years. And we've been talking whether it's positive thinking or negative thing. I said, consciousness is creating this experience. And then I go, then recognize this. Why are you, if you are the creator of these life experiences, then why aren't you creating heaven on earth every day? And I go, because you're not using that consciousness 95% of the day. You're using the other consciousness, the program. Well, that's the one that takes you away. So I go, yep. Uh, we're creating this. We are creating it. Just like the story of Bill, you know, when uh, he, he says, I don't, I'm, what do you mean I'm like my father? Because he can't see. He's the only one that can't see that behavior coming out. And, and the fact is we're all Bill in this story. And, and the relevance about that, of course, is then we're not living the life we want. We're living the life we got programmed to live. And I'm not the first guy to say this, Alex. I mean, mm -hmm. hey, the Jesuits, they have told their followers for 400 years the truth, and the followers never really understood what they were saying. What did they say? They said, give me a child until it is seven, and I will show you the man. I said, what's that? Well, they've been saying it for 400 years. I go, yeah. What did they know? If I can program the first seven years, then 95% of that person's life is going to be that program. So give me the child just for seven years. After that, automatically, the 95% of their life is going to come from that program I just gave them. And that's when Catholic school came in and says, well, if we're going to program, let's program with our program. Uh, uh, and, mm -hmm. But today, the programming is much more uh, significant than the programming the Jesuits ever thought about. I mean, you got an infant that can hardly walk carrying an iPad. You're you're looking at program. That's a program right there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I say, yeah, we're being programmed better now than even the Jesuits could have imagined. And we're being programmed, and those programs take away our power. And therefore, we're not creating the life we want. We're creating the programs that were provided to disempower us. Mm -hmm. Without question. Now, the, the, the work that you did with cells yeah is the kind of basis of a lot of what we've been talking about so can you talk about what you discovered with your stem cell research and your cell yeah. research in the laboratory and then also how uh how the, the establishment uh, reacted <laughs> <laughs> well okay i was teaching at the time students uh, the conventional curriculum which was called genetic determinism which is what the name says genes determine the character of your life so uh we talk about how genes turn on and off and control the character of your life uh the significance is um as far as you know you didn't pick the genes you came with and you can't change them if you don't like the character and and the fact that oh they turn on and off by themselves I was programming people to believe that genes control their lives, that they're victims of their heredity. <gasps> Cancer's running in my family. I'm going to get the cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know why? The genes. Oh, there's a little sidebar here. There's no gene that causes cancer. Not one gene in the whole world causes cancer. Mm -hmm. Genes are correlated with cancer. I said, what does that mean? I said, they didn't initiate it. What initiated was a disharmony in the consciousness that created a disharmony in the physiology, which is then expressed as the cancer. Cancer cells are not the cause of the problem. They're the result of the problem. That's why when people use radiation and chemotherapy and they want to kill the cancer cells, which are indistinguishable from what we call stem cells, which is the subject I haven't even talked about yet, mm -hmm. cancer treatments kill healthy cells as much as they kill the cancer cells. Right. 
but the healthy cells that are killing are the ones that keep you alive, stem cells. So um, you can die from any cancer treatment, even if you don't have the damn cancer. Uh, and the idea is, well, geez, how does that affect a person who does have a cancer? I say they were already sick before this poison went into them. And I said it made it worse. Okay, let's go back. Okay, so the idea is that stem cells are in your body. And I said, what are stem cells? I said, well, when you look in the mirror, see yourself as a single entity. There's handsome Alex looking in the mirror going, yeah, I'm, I'm Alex. I'm a single entity. I'm pretty cool and everything. And I say, but Alex, that is a misperception because you are not a single entity. By absolute scientific definition, you are a community of 50 trillion cells. The cells are the living entity. You are a community of cells. So your body's got 50 trillion cells inside. And I go, so what? And I say, well, every minute you lose millions of cells. I go, Jesus, well, how long can I live if I'm losing millions of cells every minute? So I said, well, a very, very short lifespan. Boom, you run out of cells. Boom, that's it. But no, inside your 50 trillion cell community, there are cells that are called stem cells. And I say, what is a stem cell? I go, well, to be truthful, the moment before you were born, if I did a biopsy and showed you a slide and I said, you see that cell? I said, that's an embryonic cell. And you go, yeah, okay, I'm not born. That's an embryonic cell. I got it. I wait a minute after you're born, do the same biopsy, see the very same cell. I go, what's that? I said, that's a stem cell. I go, I thought it was an embryonic cell. I said, it is. But the point is now you're born. Can't call an embryonic cell. You're born. Now it's called stem cell. Stem cells are embryonic cells. What's their function? Replace the hundreds of billions of cells that die by the end of the day. And if you are wondering, do I have stem cells? I can give you a very quick answer. If you are watching this program, <laughs> stem cells. Right. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't be alive. So we all have stem cells. And I go, so the, the, the important part about this is I'm teaching students that genes control life, but I'm working with stem cells. I take one stem cell by itself, put it in a culture dish just by itself. It divides every 10 hours, 10 hours, 12 hours. So he's got one cell, then I got two, then I got four, then I got eight, 16, 32. They double every 10 hours. I say, what do I have at the end of the week? I got 30,000 cells in the Petri dish. I go, what's important? They all came from one parent. So that meant I have 30,000 genetically identical cells. And I said, what was my experiment? I took those cells, split them up into three Petri dishes, 10,000 cells in each dish. But all the dishes have the genetically identical cells. And then I said, what did I do in my lab? I said, well, we grow cells in culture medium. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I go, what's that? That's a fluid in which the cells live. I'm going to give you a hint. We'll come back to it. Culture medium is a laboratory version of blood. If I grow human cells, I say, what's human blood made out of? And then in the lab, I put those things together and then feed the cells culture medium. But since I create the culture medium, I change the chemical composition. So I had three different versions. Let's call them environments because that's what they are. Environment A, B, and C. And I have three dishes, genetically identical cells. In dish one, environment A, that culture medium, the cells form muscle. Dish two, genetically identical cells, but uh, a culture medium B, the cells form bone. Dish three, genetically identical cells, but the culture medium is version C. And I, and I say, what's the difference? In dish A, the cells form muscle. In dish B, the cells form bone. In dish C, the cells form fat cells, I say. What 
control the fate of the cells? And the answer is, well, first of all, they were all genetically identical. Right. What was the difference? I said, it was the environment the cells were in that determined the genetic activity of the cells. So then all of a sudden I say, well, then the old idea I'm teaching in the, in the classroom, genes control the character of life, or genes control this character, which means this character is controlled by genes, which that's what it means. And I say, now what's the idea? I said, in my lab experiments, I say, this character is not controlled by genes. It's controlled by environment. I say, well, then how do I say that? I say, this is character is controlled by epigenetics. Go, what the hell is that? Epi means above. So I, what do we call skin? Epidermis. I go, why? Because just below the skin is a layer under there called dermis. And skin is above dermis, epidermis. Epi means above. So I say, this character is under epigenetic control. I am saying the new science, this character is controlled above epi, the genes. This character is controlled above the genes, not by the genes. It was controlled by the environment, which then controlled the genes. And I go, well, what's the difference from what I was teaching? I say, I was teaching you were a victim. Your genes control your life. You had no input, can't change them, and they turn on and off by themselves. New science. Environment controls genes. I go, why is that important? Because we control the environment. And all of a sudden, I said, well, then your control, you can change the environment. I go, yes. And then all of a sudden, I said, well, then you control your genes. I go, that's the difference. Genetic control, you're a victim. Epigenetic control, you are the master because you can regulate the environment that will then manifest the genetics to conform to the environment. And all of a sudden, I said, oh, my God, I did this in this research. And uh, I have all my colleagues, and I say, uh, hey, you know, that stuff we're teaching about gene controlling life, I don't think that's really right. And they look at me like, like that. And I, and I said, look, here's my experiments. And then they go, and I go, look, it's predictable. I said, what do you mean? I say, I can do this experiment tomorrow, and I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen in three days. I can predict the outcome. And I go, predictability is the hallmark of science. If right. It means you know something. They did not buy it. Why? Because everybody knows genes control life. And I'm the only one that's talking crazy talk here. The world is flat. What do you mean the world is round? What do you mean that the, the earth revolves around the sun? It's that everything revolves around the earth. <laughs> I, 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 I left the university mainly because my research revealed that what I was teaching was incorrect. And I realized I can't change the curriculum. That's controlled. Therefore, I have a choice. Teach what I know is wrong or don't teach it. I, I walked out. I had tenure. I could have stayed that job forever. I could, they could have had to bury me and still pay me at that point. But I walked out. And then I wanted to come back just because I needed scientific input to hear my idea and theory of how it all works. So I remember going back to my old department at the University of Wisconsin in medical school, and I said, I'd love to give a talk on this stuff. And they didn't really want to hear from me. Why? Because I was a professor tenured and I walked out. I'm not necessarily welcome to come back. Politically, to not so good. You know, I, I, I left the club, and, and but they let me come back. And they gave me what's called a, a lunchtime seminar on a Wednesday where everybody brings their lunch in, the faculty, the graduate students. And they, it's a social time, really, for most because they come together. And then whoever's in the front is talking, blah, 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 blah. And nobody gives a damn because they're all engaged anyway. 
But I said, at least it's an opportunity. So I come in, give a Wednesday lecture. And at the very end of the lecture, like a minute before it ends, I notice one important thing. Nobody's eating lunch. <laughs> and I'm looking at them and they're looking at me like with, like I'm some crazy guy, right? And then I get to the end of my understanding about how genes don't control life and environment through the membrane. I give my technology and they, and I, I get to the very end and I look around and I say, thank you very much. Oh, Crick that was crickets. That was the response. The longest dead silence I've ever experienced in my life. They just sat there and looked at me. Nobody moved. And then one guy in the back of the room, I'll never forget one guy in the back of the room, left side of the room goes twice. And everybody looked at him and he put his hands down. And then they all got up and walked out. Oh my God. Brutal. And I was standing in the room alone with a thought. Maybe I'm crazy. Why? Crazy people believe they're right. I said <laughs> this, and they all ran away. All my former colleagues, everybody, nobody stayed in the room. I was left alone in a room, and I said, I think I might be crazy. <laughs> but uh, I followed this up. I went back to where I got my PhD, and the, there was a world-class cell biologist there, Lenny Rebin, world-class number one kind of guy. And I said, look, Lenny, let me tell you what my idea is, because uh, tell me where I'm wrong so I can get off it. I don't want to be crazy. Just tell me where I'm wrong. So I give him the story of my environment controlling genes. And he sits there and he goes, well, Bruce, that's not what we're thinking. I go, well, I know it's not what you're thinking. I want to know what's wrong with it. Well, it's too simple. I bellowed in laughter now i am ready for the straitjacket there's the guy he says it's too simple i start laughing out loud and he looks at me now a little bit like this guy's crazy okay and i stop and i say long enough i say first week of graduate school i learned something you guys taught me it's called occam's razor occam's razor is a statement that says the simplest hypothesis is the most likely hypothesis and should be considered before all others. And I go, if it's too simple, I accept that. Thank you very much. And then I went back for not being crazy because I said, man, this is cool because this guy, the head cell biologist, couldn't find anything wrong with the idea except it was too simple. And I go, great. And it took me years to finally own it and then write a book on it and stuff like that. But but, but, but it did finally become epi epigenetics is now a field. 1990. I did this in 1967. I was 23 years before they recognized it. I knew it. You were, in the, said, desert. You were in the stop? desert. What's that? You were in the desert for 23 years. <laughs> yeah, but I never stopped the research. Figuring, right. Fine, I'll just keep on doing I'll take my idea and keep looking into it. And that's what led me, not just the idea of epigenetics, but how consciousness and subconsciousness and programming, right, right. all of that built. It, it was like finding the little piece that repeats it. You know, once you got this little piece, the whole thing is built on that piece. A human is a cell. I go, what do you mean? I say, we're made out of 50 trillion cells. I say, yeah, but every function that you have in your body was already present in almost every cell in your body. <laughs> you don't create anything new with this. This is just the expression of 50 trillion of them. And I go, yeah, so that's why if you understand how a cell works, you understand how a human works. And if you understand how a human works, you understand how humanity should work because it's called a fractal. 
and that's a geometry, uh, a special geometry, not the one we learned in school. That was called Euclidean. Mm -hmm. That was the one with cubes and triangles and spheres and circles. Octagons and yeah. all those things like that. Yeah, that's how we make our technology using that kind of geometry. But you can't use that to make nature. You can't make a tree out of it. You can't make a, 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 a mountain out of it. Uh, I said, oh, there's a different geometry and it's called fractal. And can't we don't have enough time to get into it, but I'll sure. tell you the most important part of fractal is it uses the same equation and repeats it over and over and over again. You get an equation, you solve it, you get an answer, and then you take the answer, put it back into the same equation, solve it again, get a different answer, put it back in, blah, 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 blah. And if you put this on a plot and map it out, it will repeat all the structures in nature. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So all of a sudden it says nature is fractal. I go, why is that important? Because the fractal principle is as above, so below. Why? It's the same equation, whether you're looking at the small version or at the larger or the next larger version. It's built on the same, same process, same mechanism. So if you can see it at one level, you can understand it at any of the other levels. And that's why how cell biology can teach you about human biology, which then can teach you about humanity's biology. And the evolution that we're facing right now is we have to become more humane, more <sighs> human, and start to understand what Native Americans knew 10,000 years ago. This is a garden. We're supposed to be gardeners. And what have we done with it? We destroyed the garden. I go, well, you know, there's a problem because people don't realize you are the garden. You mm. came from the garden. If the garden doesn't exist and humans don't exist, <laughs> that's like, oh, maybe we should be a little bit more cautious with the environment. I go, this maybe. is the wake up call. This is where we are today. And really quickly, if you can, there's some other one other thing I wanted you to touch on because it's so important and it kind of blew my mind when you said it. It's biology 101, but so many people don't understand it what stress does ah, to the body and the concept important. of the limbs it. and all that stuff. It's so brilliant. Let me just summarize quickly. Remember, the function of the brain is to take the picture in the mind and turn it into complementary chemistry. Stress means there's a threat. I go like what? Well, for example, when the system was forming, the thing we were afraid of was that saber-toothed tiger. I go, so what does that mean? A threat on the outside is threatening your life. So I said, well, how do you deal with a threat on the outside? I say, it's the adrenal system, which in high school, fight or flight. Okay, that's how you deal with it. Okay, I say, well, then guess what? When you perceive a stress, you release stress hormones, which get the body programmed for fight or flight. So I said, what does that mean? I go, listen, this is right out of a physiology book. When stress hormones are released into the system, the blood is preferentially sent to the arms and legs. I go, Why? Blood is where the energy is. Preferentially sent to the arms and legs? Where the hell was it before the stress hormones? I go, oh, it was concentrated in the gut. I go, so what's doing in the gut? It's energizing the functions of what? The gut. Maintenance of the body, cleaning the body, repairing the body, doing all the things to keep us healthy. I say, then when stress hormones come in, what do they do? They want the energy of the body, not in the gut. They want in the arms and legs so you can run away from that damn tiger. So the first thing stress hormones do is cause the blood vessels in the gut to squeeze shut. I say, why? Why? Because that pushes the blood to the arms and legs where the energy is needed. But it shuts down the function of the gut, which is what? Maintenance of the body. 
I go, oh, okay. So when you're in stress, first thing you do is you shut off the maintenance of the body because the energy is needed for running. The other thing stress does right now that's most important is it shuts down the immune system. Go, why? Well, the immune system uses a lot of energy. I go, if you've ever been sick, you probably didn't even get out of bed. You didn't have that much energy. So I say, well, what if you have an infection and you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger? I go, well, which zone do you want to protect? The interior zone, which is immune, or the exterior zone, which is adrenal fight or flight? And I go, the hell with a bacterial infection. If the tiger catches you and eats you, bacterial infection is not your problem anymore, okay? So the point about it is what? Well, when stress hormones come into the system, they conserve the energy to run away. By what? Shutting off the immune system. Why? It conserves energy that I can use to run away from the tiger. Uh, 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 and so I say, well, what shuts off the immune system? Stress hormones. I say, what causes that? I said, fear causes that. And I go, oh, so when you're afraid, you are shutting down your immune system. I go, absolutely. And I go, why? Again, getting ready for the fight or flight. And I go, well, now let's recognize 100,000 years ago, what was your stress? Saber-toothed tiger. I go, that was it? Yeah, pretty much. I go, so if you escape the saber-toothed tiger, do you need to stay in stress? I go, no. The moment you escape the tiger, then you go back into function again. The gut starts working, the immune system starts working, you're back in health. But today's world, stress is 24-7, 365. It's dripping stress hormones into your body every minute. And I go, what's the result? Well, you're shutting down the maintenance of the body. Not for a few minutes, now for chronic and I say, what about the immune system? I say, you're shutting down the immune system with stress hormones. Point, medical doctors use stress hormones therapeutically. I go, for what? I say, if they want to transplant an organ from person A into person B, they don't want the immune system in person B to reject the organ after I put it in. So they give the recipient of that organ stress hormones before the operation so that it shuts down the immune system. So when they put the foreign tissue into that body, the immune system's not rejecting it. I go, the stress is so good at shutting off the immune system, they use it to shut off the immune wow. system. It's it's such a it's such a powerful concept to people understand because I know all I mean, I, I the times that I've been stressed out in my life, I'm ex I get sick more often. I'm exhausted. Things, you know, I'm just weaker because of the stress is just constantly bombarding. And, you know, I live, you know, I have children, so I'm stressed all the time. But <laughs> but generally speaking, if you go into work every day, you have a boss that's pounding on you or, or you have bills that you can't pay and you're stressed out and you're hustling Ubers or you're, you're you know, you're doing, you know, whatever Uber Eats or whatever to make a living, just that stress is hurting you from even being able to get out of the situation. And then we go into the whole programming thing that we discussed earlier. Yeah. But that, but that was the whole idea. If I sell you stress, I control your life. Yep. Okay? And yeah, and just think about this. I'll give you just a very simple, important fact about biology and mechanism. And that is this people only have power when they're in community. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Bruce, I could talk to you for days. Uh, but, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to uh, talk with the audience because if the more information we lay out there, the whole idea of what you're doing and what I'd like to contribute to what you are doing is awakening a population to their own empowerment. Yes. And if you don't know, the fact is, A, you are a creator. B, you're not creating what you want because somebody else put the program that has taken away your power and your subconscious. And, and that's why 
people listen to Alex's show, you have to change your consciousness and stop being victims because we must exercise our creative character mm -hmm. because I trust the creative character of the population more than I trust the so-called leadership, which is controlling us. I want all of us to have our power back because if people have the power, then everything will be a honeymoon on this planet. And that would mean heaven is earth. And that is my final thought that I want people to recognize. You think you die and go to heaven? You were born here. I go, why is that heaven? I say, this is where you came to create what, whatever you desire. I say, then how come it's not working? Because I say, unfortunately, the creative part of your brain, the conscious mind, it's not actually working that much. Uh, and you're creating the program that somebody else put in there. My friend, I'm going to ask you a few quick questions that I ask all my guests. Yes. What is your definition of living a good life? If you've ever experienced the honeymoon, that's a good life. What does that mean? You wake up every day. It doesn't mean everything works. I don't. Everything doesn't work in my life, but guess what? When it doesn't work, it doesn't bother me either. I live here. I enjoy it. How many of you have watched the sunset uh, no. lately? No? Oh, you're in the car driving home from the stress job? Oh, okay. In stress line? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, we're not recognizing you, you, you're in a world that is the most beautiful imagination world ever. The environment is like my God, aliens would come here just to see where we're living. <laughs> and that's it. And then when you die, you lose this mechanism, the body, which was a device that spirit uses for creation. What is your definition of God? Everything. God is all the energy in the universe, and which is very important because most important fact is this. Your spirit is an energy field that is picked up by your cells because your cells have a set of antennas to receive the broadcast. They're called self-receptors. No two people in the entire world have the same set of antennas. So you are receiving a broadcast and nobody else is receiving, but everybody else is, is receiving their broadcast. But all broadcasts came from the same source, all energy. And what's the point? You can never be separated from God. Never be separated. Nobody could get in between you and God and change that relationship. No one can connect you with God because you've never been disconnected from God. You are a creator. You're just creating from bad programs. And Bruce, I have to ask you one last question. I've been dying to ask you, and it just popped back into my head. This is genes. This is a genes question. If genes replicate and we have stem cells that constantly are replaying the ones that we are they're dying off, our our skin gets replaced every what eight years or something like that, or I forget our stomachs get replaced. We're basically a new version of ourselves every so many years. Yeah. Uh, why do we die? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. <laughs> Well, the idea is, number one, we're dying way too early because the minimum age of death should be minimum 150 years, if not much longer. Uh, we die because we're not living in harmony with the planet, that uh, stress levels are killing us. The food we eat is toxic when it comes from industrial farm food. It doesn't give you the nutrition that you really require to keep a healthy body. That's why we should be eating natural organic food, not the chemically treated versions at the supermarket. 
uh, we eat way too much. Why? When you burn fuel, you always get toxic byproducts. So you don't breathe the exhaust pipe from your car when you burn the fuel. Mm. When you digest food, that's burning food. There's a toxic byproduct called free radicals, which are charged particles that are like bullets that when they hit a cell, they punch a hole in the cell and they kill the cells. The more food you eat, the more cells you kill, the shorter your lifespan becomes. Uh, and and all of a sudden it says, my God, we're eating so much food. And the issue is now we're, we're changing the ecosystem. Yeah, let's cut down the rainforest so we can have more hamburgers. I go, the rainforest is the lungs of a planet that clean the air and put the oxygen back in. You cut down the forest, you're killing yourself to eat what? More food, which is killing yourself. The amount of food we should eat should be subsistence. But we're programmed from a kid you eat breakfast most important meal of the day then around lunchtime you're hanging out so you eat some more food whether you're hungry or not and then dinner that's the big one we wait for dinner and we eat the big dinner and i go we didn't, we're eating way too much food we're killing yeah. ourselves yeah. that animals when they control the amount of food they gave them and gave them just a subsistence just enough to keep them going mm -hmm. the animal lifespans doubled and we are animals that are eating way too much food uh, and we're destroying the planet in the process. We're destroying ourselves and destroying the planet by this diet. It says, we don't need to eat this much food. As a matter of fact, something new. Hello, Bruce is going to say something new to the world right here. You ready? Plants make their energy from the sunlight, using it to take water and carbon dioxide and making sugar so they can generate their own nutrition humans now it's recognized that in your skin are pigments called melanin melanin are crystal proteins crystals i go what about them well they always say oh yeah that blocks the sunlight from burning up our body and all that well, that part of it but melanin takes energy out of the atmosphere and turns it into biological fuel the point about evolution is why would we create an organism that is so voracious it has to destroy the planet to feed itself? That's not evolution, that's devolution. Mm. Evolution is we were created not to require the devastation of the environment to enjoy ourselves here. Mm. The less food we eat, the longer we live. And that's basically a conclusion because melanin is like chlorophyll in humans. It takes energy out of the atmosphere and turns it into nutrition so we don't have to eat so much. But food is fun. Just want to acknowledge food is fun. <laughs> now, where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing, Bruce? BruceLipton.com. Very simple. And guess what? Everything we talked about, there are free videos, free written articles, free uh, interviews like Alex is here. They're all freely downloadable. So um, get some information. Knowledge is power. And we, Alex... Uh, is an empowering force i am supporting alex and his empowering force Thank you. to what help you create heaven on earth because if you create in heaven on earth then i'm experiencing heaven everywhere i go and that's the destination bruce i appreciate you and all the work you've been doing all these years my friend thank you so much for everything and I truly, truly appreciate you coming on the show, my friend. Keep up the good Alex, work. I am a happy guy to be here because our audience are the ones that are saying, what the hell is going on here? And I say, if we give them knowledge of power, knowledge is power. And what you're doing is empowering people with, listen, if you don't get this knowledge, you don't understand why it's not working. But if you get the knowledge, then you have the power to make it work. And that is why you're here. And that's why I'm here. So 
Uh, thank you, Alex. And more importantly, let's thank our audience because these are the people who are looking for answers that are not in the box because the answers in the box are the ones that are causing the problem. So we step outside, create a different evolution right here. I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you, Alex. I want to thank Bruce so much for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge with all of us. Thank you so much, Bruce. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 160. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.